load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 26 of Weekly Weights We are joined today by Brett Gibbs so Brett Gibbs is a two-time IPF world champion in the under 83 kilo class. That was in 2015 and 2018. And he's the current world record holder in the squat with 299 kilos and the total with 830.5 kilos. But he's held all four records, so squat, bench, deadlift, and total at various points in time. Um, I mean, what else is there to say? If you've heard of us, you've probably heard of Brett. Yeah, probably. At, yeah, at least likely. Probably not to my mum, but <laughs> otherwise everybody else. Um, Brett, first question actually is what happened to Powerlifting Exposed? Because you had a podcast really briefly with JP. Yeah, we just, um, we, we started it. We had a couple of uh, episodes to start with. And then we just, we had a real busy period for like a few months where we just weren't getting it done. We're like, probably going to do this. And that was when he was opening his gym. And then we just... We just didn't commit to it really, like to, to the degree that we wanted to, but didn't yeah. make the time for it. So we just we just said, "Ah, oh, let's just move on from it." Did you, know? you get Did you get lots of views in that time? Yeah, we did, man. We actually, uh, yeah, we had lots of listens on because we had a uh, thing on Apple. We had it on YouTube, like even just on the YouTube video, we had a few thousand views on the first one. That was let alone the um, the the just the non-video one, like just the audio only. Yeah. So and it was it was the like one with over ten. Yeah, that was with Hack and yeah. Joe Flex. And then the second one was on, I can't remember what that was on. It was just some powerlifting rants that we were going on, some more controversial type stuff. Yeah, they were pretty good watching. I remember watching them back in the day. They were good. But it's hard to balance like running a podcast and having a genuine coaching career. So Alex and I gave yeah. up the ladder and we just do a podcast now. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> man, I, I don't know. There was just a... Uh, it was, I don't know, there was just so much powerlifting shit going on. I just, couldn't, I just you know, sometimes you just, it does your head, I know. Yeah. So we're like, well, we'll flag that one. It was just, me and JP, you know, we still have those conversations and have our point of view and whatnot, so and it's all good. Brett, you've just launched your clothing brand as well. Um, yeah. Where can, where can people find that? Oh, that's at uh, squatbenchdeadlift.com. And uh, you can get 10% off if you type in weekly weights 10. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do. I'll do that for you, boys. <laughs> Password is friends with Will, not Alex. Um, all right. So the first thing we want to talk to Brett about, and probably the thing people most want to hear about um, from him, is his competitive history and some of the things he's learned. So he's a very accomplished lifter. Um, but we were just saying before we started recording that as a junior, you'd actually been competing in equipped lifting. So why and when did you transition to raw? Uh, so yeah, so when I started lifting in 2007, 2008, around then, uh, to be competitive, you had to use equipment, right? If you want to go to the world champs and be the best in the world, be the best in the country, you had to wear the gear or else you're competing raw against people wearing equipment. You're never going to be the best in the world doing that, are you? So um, it was 2013, I think, was the first time raw had sort of started to show its face. And I, I had friends around my age, maybe a little bit older, um, that were way more interested in raw lifting. They're like, they never understood equipped lifting, but I'd already been in the game, like, you know, lifting equipped guys I, uh, that mentored me, that I, you know, that got me into powerlifting were doing equipped. So I, I adjusted to it, I was open to it, and I did it. Um, and then they started getting strong. And like, my mate, this is the one guy in particular, it was Hayden Pritchard, 
and he would just call me out. He'd be like, like I was squatting like, you know, mid 300s, you know, like mid to low 300s in equipment. And I was, you know, hitting like 260, 270 raw. Um, maybe not even that at that stage, but um, like he hit like, you know, 260, 270 raw. And I was like, damn, he's actually like super strong. And then like, he just sort of like egged me into doing it. Like he just talked shit on equipment. Like it was all like, you know, lighthearted bands he had with the mates. Um, and then I was like, nah, I need to start doing this, uh, doing this raw stuff. It actually looks pretty fun. So, and you, I just got it. you had a um, equipped squat record, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? Still got it. Still got it. Still got it. Yeah, three fifty-five point five in the junior eighty-threes. Mm, cool. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, so, how did you actually get? <laughs> I mean, this is literally the best that's ever been done as a junior eighty-three. So it's more than not. It was. It was funny because, um, like, I was really proud of that record for a. For really one reason, it was because they froze the records at the 82.5. You know, all the records back in the day, like mm. Ed Cohen has got the deadlift record and, and when they froze it at 82.5. And uh, the squat record was eight, oh, 355.0. And it was set in like 1980-something, whatever. And it was at 82.5. So I went to Hungary in 2014 when I set it. So I wanted to weigh in at 82.5 or less, and I weighed in at 82.4, and I went and they're like, you don't have to, you can just set the record at 355. I was like, no, I want to chip it, Put, give me 355.5, because I wanted to go and beat that record, because it was one of the things I'd set out to do mm-hmm. before they froze it. So that was sort of like, I was really happy that I was able to tick that off like many years later. Yeah, more like an all, all-time record. Yeah, like that's that's the way I viewed it, although like, Obviously, it doesn't mean that. Probably no one even knows about that, but that's just that was what I had set out to do. I was like, oh, I could probably beat that record. I'm going to give it a go, and I went and did it, so even I think, though it was a standard. I think now that raw lifting has come to prominence, a lot of the people who get into powerlifting get into powerlifting because they just like going to the gym and lifting heavy, and then raw powerlifting is like the next step, and people would consider that a gateway to equipped. But you started in equipped, and you were obviously already passionate about the sport. What actually drew you to it? Drew me to the sport. Yeah, to powerlifting. Why did you start? Yeah, so um, it was basically just because I had I broke my right humerus twice, um, like in one summer, like it was like back to back, and then I had rehab from the physio. They just said, "Oh, look, just start going to the gym and you know doing some weights, get some muscle back on your arm, you know." And um, just enjoyed lifting, you know. Like when you're young at school, it was you know it was like you know you want to look good, you want to look good for the girls and impress them, that sort of shit. Um, so. Started doing that, and I just like really like bench pressing. You know, that was just one of the bro things to do. And um, moved gyms like a year later, a year after, just literally doing um, arms and bench press. And then I met some powerlifters there, and they were like, "Hey man, come train bench with us on Wednesdays." So I went and did that, trained with them like every Wednesday. And then they're like, "Oh, well, we do squats on Monday and deadlifts on Friday. Just come do that with us." And I was like, oh, like pretty nervous to do it because, you know, they're like the strong guys in the gym and um, just went and did it. And then they're like, oh, okay, let's go do a comp now. Like, and went and did a comp. And what we, when I did that comp, I was like, oh, man, this was pretty fun. I want to, you know, like it's that same feeling. We always get it's like, oh, like it was enjoyable, but I can do more. I want to go back and do more next time. And it was that feeling. I've just never been able to get over it. So uh, for a lot of our listeners, they wouldn't really be aware what the differences between equipped and raw are. So you want to just quickly, like in a minute, outline what the differences are? So basically, yeah, it's just it's just added suits to make you lift more weight. 
people talk about a lot of it's technically this, it's technically that, but you just chuck on a suit, you try to get to death, you have knee wraps on, bench is just like, I just I used to just describe it as like there's a spring on your chest and you're trying to get the bar to your chest and as soon as you press it, uh, you know, it's like this, this that same feeling of what you imagine putting a weight onto a spring feels like. And then it's sort of similar with a deadlift suit, but it's a, just super uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. It's mm. not fun. It takes forever, and it's it's not yeah, – it's, it's terrible. It's, it's a great answer because last week we had Jacob Skeppis on who gave us really, really elaborate answers, and I like the simplicity, Brett. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> um. Bro, it's got to be people, – people love to overcomplicate something that's not complicated, man. Like, you, you know, like I learned – I didn't even have a raw lifting background and just went and just lifted equipped and I was successful. Like you don't need I just you just do what you can, man. Like it's not that hard. Um, so you did end up though transitioning to raw and now you don't compete equipped or I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't do any equipped at all. Um, no. why did you decide to go just to complete raw training and lifting only? Uh, way more enjoyable. I like the, the stimulus you get from raw training. Like, you know, it actually just feels more natural. You, get, you know, it's better for your overall movement. You don't get, like, just sore joints. You have to wrap your knees. Like, it actually feels good for your overall just muscle development going through, like, you know, raw bench training, raw squat training, raw deadlifts. It's just like that's how you should go and lift weights. Um, less time in the gym. So you're not worrying about, like, having training partners around, like, so back in the day, to go and do a weekly equip session, like we do maybe two, three equip sessions a week, you needed to have people around. Like, you know, lifting out over 200 kilos by yourself on a bench press, when you're not really capable of lifting it, it's not, not a safe thing to do. You know what I mean? Mm. Same thing with the squat. Like, you're walking out, you know, 300 plus kilos when you can only squat yourself like 240, 250 kilos. It's, it's, um, just a little bit different so you need you need a really good support group and like you, you're not going to really find that these days like people that are going to just come in and train with you for three hours just because you have got a big squat session or like you know that's not really that realistic year after year after year it's probably realistic for a few years but it's going to wear off over time and with raw you can just go about it and do your thing do your own programming and you're you don't have to rely on anyone else you can just get shit done yeah, raw lifting seems to be a lot more accessible. That seems like the biggest um, advantage, from my from my opinion. Even though I've never done equipped, mm. well, actually, I've done yeah. one. I've done one equipped bench bench session with JP, and I did not get one rep the whole session. Yeah, you said it was like having a spring yeah, on yeah. your chest, though. Yeah, it was it was terrible. It actually, <laughs> fucking hurt. I got bruises and shit. It was. It was Bro, it's so uncomfortable. I remember <laughs> like the bruises and scars. Like I would have, I had the scar on my tricep. Yeah. For. A good three years, I reckon. Yeah. It was like I was like, oh no, that's permanent now. But it's fine. It's actually gone now. Yeah. But it was so bad. Like, and you would leave, you'd leave like say a, a benching session with just sore arms and sore shoulders. Like there was no like walking out and be like, oh yeah, man, I just like yeah, chest is pumped, <laughs> feeling good. You know, like you know, you're like it, it was just the complete opposite of that. It was painful, eh? But. I don't recommend it to anyone. I don't even ever talk about equipped powerlifting anymore. Like, and actually, actually, one of the things was what was the biggest put off for me personally was when someone goes, "Oh, Brett, so how much do you squat?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know, yeah, 350 kilos." And they're just like, "Oh my god!" You're like, 
no, 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 but you don't understand that I'm cheating. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, I'm not, I'm um, not like, actually doing all that. Well, that it's not relatable. You know, maybe maybe it wasn't it was that it wasn't relatable, and, and that was a real big put off for me. You know, doing radio interviews and and like ah, uh, it, it's just it's cringeworthy, eh? Like you know, it's okay if like you guys ask me, oh, so what's your equipped squat? It's like yeah, but you guys get it, mm-hmm. but the general population don't get it. There's no relatability there, and and to try and explain that story every time someone who doesn't understand is just. Not a nice conversation to have, eh? Mm. Okay, so we're going to zoom ahead a little bit now to um, you competing at the world level raw because I think we've sort of touched on equipped. And what we want to do is kind of go year by year um, from 2015 through 18 and talk about sort of your world's performances and the lessons you've taken from it. So in Finland, you're actually awarded a silver medal um, on the day. This is in 2015. But after the drug testing results... 2014. 2014 was my debut. Oh, did you lift at 14? Hmm? Did you lift in 14? Yeah, man. What did you come in for? Is that South Africa? Yeah, South Africa, yeah. Was that, were you Opens then? No, nah, it was uh, Junior. Oh, fuck Juniors. We're talking about Opens here. <laughs> yeah, what? It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was you who said Juniors I should be a I the Opens record, so. Oh, fuck. Well, there you go. You won Juniors? Yeah, yeah, I won Juniors. Yeah, no, All right, yeah, good yeah, job. No cares. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. <laughs> the only reason I wanted to bring it up is because I went nine from nine, and I was like, yes. But, uh, you guys are gonna hit me, hit me where it hurts, and we'll start yeah. talking about these five for nine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So, 2015, Finland. Um, you're awarded a silver medal. Drug test results come back, and the guy who came first, who was an Ecuadorian, um, Jose Castillo, Castillo, Castillo. Um, he was popped for anabolics and stripped of his title, and then you were sent the medal. I presume in the mail after the fact. Yeah. Um, you didn't get to have your moment on the podium. What did that mean to you? And, you know, what does it still mean to you when you look back at, like, that world's performance? Like, how does it yeah, feel I to mean, not feel like you win on the day and then be told after the fact, oh, you kind of did? Well, you yeah, it's, the thing is it's sort of, like, it's a tough one because it was a trash performance. Like, it didn't actually perform very well. Like, I missed lifts. I should have performed better. Um but, and yeah, like, obviously, you know, standing in second when the, the guy who won, you know, later on fouls his drug tests. And, you know, that obviously sucks. But, I'm, you know, glad he got caught. Uh, there's nothing worse than people who are cheaters like that. Like, I can't stand drug cheats. I don't I, – I'm not necessarily against drugs in sport. Like, you know, if, if people want to go and do untested lifting, that's all good. But, you know, like – People that want to blatantly come into a sport that has drug testing and cheat, um, I can't stand that. So I was super happy that he got an eight-year ban. Um, but as far as like a feeling of satisfaction from my point of view, there wasn't there wasn't really much added sensation there or feeling there, you know. So you said you had a pretty underwhelming performance on the day. Um, how did you do? And if you had performed to the best of your ability, could you have taken out just first outright, irrespective? Yeah, yeah, I could have, you know, like looking at my training leading into the, into that competition, um, I should have, you know, should have been able to win, um, but just, you know, a couple of key misses, I think, just, you know, just put me out of reach, really, um, and obviously, you know, Jose himself had a good performance, I think he either went eight or nine from nine, um, so, you know, on that day, you know, he did deserve the win, you know, should he have been a clean athlete. Um, so it's yeah, it's hard to look back on that knowing that I could have beaten him anyway. How much different would you have felt had you had he not been there, and you had won anyway, even with 
uh, subpar performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like the thing with powerlifting as well, and it's hard because you know we're a sport where we're based on what we lift. Like it's black and white. It's like here's what you lifted, you know, and that that's what it is. But like at the same time, like you know, when you go to world champs, the the objective should just be to go and win. You know, regardless of numbers, low risk attempts. If you're way ahead, and just win. But sometimes that doesn't always give us satisfaction. You know. Well, the most satisfying thing is to lift the most you feel you could possibly have and perform at the best you possibly can. But as a sport, like you said, you have to make tactical decisions to just be ahead of the guy coming second. So exactly. Yeah. So so that's where it's quite hard to say, like to walk away from a comp and just sort of know you're half-assed just to sort of get the win or whatever. Or, you know, like there was no real competition. There's no, there's not actually a huge amount of satisfaction in that. Mm. But at the same time, the people watching sometimes, like they don't understand that. They just feel like you just need to lift this and win, like you know, like and so that that's one I've always had a hard, like a hard one trying to overcome because I'm always so fired up to just like PV every time and like just do something I'm not even capable of. Like that's always just been my mindset. I don't know. That's just that's just how I feel. But um, if you if we zoom back to that performance, what were the actual mistakes that you did make that led to misses? And how have you learned from that? The squat. The squat I always used to have depth problems with, so I think I was always really borderline in the gym. So I'd always have a down performance generally on squats, and I think I did miss my third attempt just simply to lack of strength coming out of the hole, just had nothing there. Bench was because of an early rack call, so I just put it in the rack after getting to the top and deadlift just 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 technically garbage man like it was so up and down um like deadlifting week to week it was just there was never i was never really that consistent um and that just led to just to a key miss at the end too much weight on the bar it's not strong enough whereas some days you know i was strong enough to lift that weight but just yeah so just a few key misses on like third attempts that just lead to you know a pretty average total what what was your total on the day? Oh, it was pro- I think it was seven seventy five. Mm, really average. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Piss <laughs> poor. Oh, no. All right. I was um go to twenty sixteen now. So twenty sixteen was in Killeen, Texas, and this was yeah. um Hack versus Gibbs, which is was as far as I can remember the most highly anticipated powerlifting matchup of ever. Yeah. And Will and I actually watched it live at Will's place. Yeah, that's true. We held we held hands. It was it was awesome. <laughs> we watched it yeah. on my bed. So it was <laughs> like it was like Netflix and chill, but for powerlifting, you know, <laughs> for like four hours. It was real cute. So <laughs> we're gonna go through um, all your attempts and like talk about what your mindset was at each point in time and like sort of what you were going through at the time. So yeah, opening a squat was what two seventy seven and a half. Yeah, and. Yeah. Alex is like did. powerlifting Rain Man, by the way. He remembers so many numbers. Like, I can't remember what I lifted yesterday, and Alex can tell <laughs> me what people that he doesn't even coach that he's never met <laughs> have lifted like three years ago in a meet he wasn't at. Like, it's neck yeah, level. Yeah. So, 277. Yeah, you opened at 277, and Hack opened at 270, I believe. Yeah, maybe. Like and I'm... you both went to, you both jumped to 285. So, you had the lot number advantage, so he went first. <laughs> So he nailed it, and then you stood up with yours, but it was like a little bobble at the top. 
yeah that yeah i don't know really what happened i just remember coming through the midsection and just just losing just don't know what just don't know what happened eh? like i i I guess i got red lighted for the bar dipping or something like that but yeah that was the just a mistake man i I don't know like it just felt heavy felt slow Mm. and just yeah made that error so from from that you jumped to 288 which would have been the then world record yeah. What, what were you thinking leading into this attempt? Were you thinking like this is make or break? I need this. What were you thinking? Yeah, I knew I, I needed that lift, man. I I knew I had to make that lift. Um, the thing is, I didn't actually really know what, what what I was even lifting that day, so I didn't even tell JP to like say, "Oh, this is what we're going to go do." Like I was just real, like just put the weight on the bar, whatever I need to do, and I'll just go out there and do what I can. And um, just mentally, wasn't there for squats. Eh? I was. Yeah, so the last warm-up, I had 250 at the back or 255, absolutely smoked it, super quick. And then the, the great British um, head ref comes up to me, uh, head coach, and he's like, man, that was just on depth. Don't go any deeper than that. And I was like, Fuck, I buried that. Like, It was that depth thing again. Like, It was just like Playing on it your mind, just got yeah. in my head. Yeah. And because at Arnold's, I only made my third attempt to get a fly so I went miss miss got it at the Arnold so I was you know already in the back of my mind I'm like oh no it's going to happen again Yeah. so I just went out there and like I completely changed how I squatted like I think I was going like real slow on the eccentric and I was like trying to like almost like search for depth and it would just completely change the way I squatted mm. and it was just a complete mind fuck and I went out there with 288 and just hit the hole and stayed in the hole yeah too much thinking and less doing exactly man like I just didn't back myself on what I needed to do. Do you feel? And that just cost me. Do you feel for you um, having somebody who was you know genuinely in your league, breathing down your neck, um, made competing easier or harder? Like, did that rattle you, or did you enjoy the sensation of knowing you had to make your lifts? Um, probably a bit of both. Like, it's definitely like you know it's going to be close. You know, you need to make this, but and then like, you know, like when you're still in the meet, you're like. Fuck, now I'm just playing catch up, you know, like and, and that was that was kind of exciting because I was like, I know I can still do it, but it's all it's all on me now. But yeah, like it's definitely a good thing and a bad thing as well. Like and I feel like I definitely want more of those. That's mm. definitely a feeling I'd rather have than just walking away with it. Mm. Yeah, sure. So um Hack went on to squat two ninety eight. Um and you had just your opener of two seventy seven and a half. So 20 and a half gap there after yeah. squats um, and then going on to bench you missed your opener because you beat the press command is that right yeah yeah <laughs> um, and that was that we was what up, went up anyway. that was what 190 and then you jumped to 195 yeah. smoked it and then took a massive jump to the then world record 208 and yeah. smoked that as well actually I remember that and yeah. that was gutsy as how did that feel to know you were taking such a big jump and like how important that lift was going into it? What was your mindset? Oh, man, that was, that? It was make or break. Like it was like, if you don't get this, just pack your bags and get out of here. Kind of get on the next plane out of here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like it was, I knew I was good for it. I knew I was good for it. It was just a technical thing, obviously on the, on the first lift. And, um, that's why we obviously just went up anyway. We knew we had to, we had no other choice. And no, nah, it was it was exciting, man. I remember just grinding that out and 
you know, when I got the rack call and jumped up and got those white lights, I was fired up, man. Like, I was like, bring on Deadlifts. Yeah, like, game on. I can bring this back. Mm. And, um, it, but at the same time, it was like, I didn't actually get much on him. I only got eight and a half kilos on him because he grinded his way through 195 and, and 200, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, he did 200 and you did 208. Yeah. So then you were behind by, what, 13 or 12 about, and a half? That'd be 12. 12 and a half. No, 208 gives him half kilos behind. Yeah, oh, yeah, 20 two, and a half. But he had 298. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so you were then behind by 12 and a half leading into dinner, so right? Uh, was it 12 and a half? So it was 77, 98, that's 21 and a half. 20, it was 20 and 13 and a half. 20 and a half. Minus eight. Minus eight. Yeah, so yeah, 12, 12 and, and a half. half. Oh, 12 and a half, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, yeah so then, and you were also lighter, so you needed, you now needed to out deadlift hack by 12 and a half. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, so then what happened on deadlifts, Alex, who remembers all the numbers? I can't remember what your attempts were for deadlifts, actually. Your second was... So, so basically, we just went 12 and a half below all of his attempts. Uh, it was something like that. So basically, what we were doing is like, when he went out... Or not, yeah, we went under. Above, yeah. surely. Because you no, had no. to out-pull him, didn't you? Yeah, he waited till the end, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we waited till the end, yeah, so we took a big bigger jump at the end. Yeah, you did, oh, I we, think, I 305 on the second? 305 on yeah. the second, and yeah. And then 327 and a half. Yeah, 327 yeah. and a half. That's right. And that got just below the knee or just above the knee? Just above the knee, just and then I think the it was just my grip started giving out. Yeah. And... You know when your grip's giving out, you just stop actually moving the barbell because you're just so focused on holding it? Yep. Yeah, that's only happened once just, to me. I, happens to me I all just, the time. I just put it down. But, yeah, then that, that was a, obviously a problem for me because I actually, the, at the Arnold's before that same year in April, I missed 3.30 literally an inch from lockout just because my underarm was going. Like, I just mm. could not hold on to it. And so I knew, like, it was actually, go, like, it was touch and go, like, it was... You know, if, if, if my grip was stronger, I felt like I could have actually, you know, gone, got, got that lift and, you know, made the comeback. But, you know, it just wasn't to be hacked. He, the, he literally went nine from nine and, you know, yeah, made his squat look really easy well. and then just got through his thirds on his um, bench and deadlift. So mm. it was close, man. Um, for, for your grip, how much do you think, like, is for you, is it just a size of hand issue? Uh, no, I actually think the biggest problem for me is my right elbow is the thing that plays the biggest factor because I lack a little bit of extension. Like, my arm doesn't hang properly. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, are you? Do you supinate your right arm or your left arm? My right arm. Okay. And then the left arm goes under. But I feel like that's a huge um, – no, no, way. Yeah, I supinate my left, left underhand. Arm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, you're right. Uh, yeah, so my right is over the bar, and I feel like that just doesn't sit very well. Like it's like I can't deadlift double overhand. There's absolutely no way. That's why I can't hook grip because I get major elbow pain. So that's the only way I can actually grip the bar that feels somewhat comfortable. But like my, if I was doing anything my right arm will always just give away first because i just with weight on there not not necessarily like grip strength like squeezing strength mm. um and i think that i think that's my major problem eh? it's just because i've got that that elbow problem 
Yeah, right. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it is. But anyway, after that, um, after that competition, like you said, John has gone nine for nine, had a really good performance, like didn't leave much on the platform, and he pipped you, but not by much. How did it feel to you, again, considering how hyped that particular sort of battle was, how did it feel to you to have come off second best? We lost him. Uh, we might have lost Brett. Um, yep. Oh, you're back. Um, sorry, how much of that did you catch, yeah. Brett? Um, pretty much just saying that uh, what did it feel to me with like sort of hack beating me? Yeah, basically. I didn't yeah. phrase it that politely, <laughs> actually. Yeah, how, <laughs> yeah. how did it feel to lose, dude? <laughs> how did it feel to get bodied in Texas? Get bodied. <laughs> In his home country of America, <laughs> uh, man, it, it, it's it's. Bro, at the time, it sucked. Eh? I, the thing is, I didn't actually realize how big of an event it was. Honestly, I didn't realize that it was going to go down as you know one of the biggest head to heads in IPF worlds. Yeah. And I wish I had given a more attention, more focus, more. Let's make attempts. Let's actually like you know bring a total to the to the platform. Um, but I didn't, and it absolutely yeah, it sucked, man. Like it. Uh, yeah, it, it killed me for a bit, eh? Like, I was like... Oh, it shit, looked you know? shattering. And I remember seeing JP trolling you on his Instagram story that night. You guys were going to the banquet or going to dinner or something, and you were getting yeah. changed, and he was just giving you all sorts of shit. How was that? That was fucking funny. It was I, pretty funny. <laughs> you can't take JP seriously, so... Oh, I struggle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man, uh, it was tough, eh? It, it, was, it was a tough, tough defeat, and... Um, Definitely keeps coming back for more though, you know, when you when you when you get smoked like that. So yeah, and how do you feel that John's now not competing in the IPF? Because it'd be great to see you guys sort of go again. Yeah, yeah, no, it would be. I mean, obviously, I would have loved for him to stay, and you know, we would have, you know, been able to, you know, go head to head again at IPF Worlds, and it does suck that he's not there. But you know, I respect that he's obviously doing his own thing. There was the US Open, uh, the money. Uh, up for grabs, um, you know, 24-hour weigh-ins, you know, knee wraps, the far, like, just a different style, I guess, so, I mean, it is what it is, and hopefully we meet again in the future and can uh, have a good battle at a competition that I feel like is really legitimate, because, um, you know, I feel like that's that's one that I'm, you know, that's always just haunting me, eh, is that, you know, the mm. John Hack of good, gets me every time. There's man. a, um, there's actually quite a few Americans now who are, Close, close to 800 kilos. Yeah. Who, who do you think is going to take out this year's nationals? Uh, I think Sean Noriega. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I think he's just too good. He's um, he's got a great squat. If he can, if he can make three three squats, and let's just say he squats 290, right? Let's say, let's just say that's the worst, the worst third team. He's probably good for more. He's done 290 in the yeah, gym. Yeah, he just did 290 this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's just say he does that, and say. Russ has a great squat day and he goes 305, 307 maybe. Gives him, say, say he's got 17 kilo. He's going to lose that right away on bench. I'd say 12 at minimum. So, say, let's just say he's, let's just say, at worst case, he's 10 or high end of the turn, right? At subtotal. Mm. That's it. That's done. The opener's going to finish it. Second and third's done. Like, he's, he's got, he should win it and it's, it's for his for the loss, I reckon. I think the way that Sean lifts is a little bit. Like he's a little bit closer to error all the time because he he pushes things to the borderline a little bit. So he's like a little yeah. bit closer to a miss than Russ. Like Russ lifts a little bit safer. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, definitely, man. Way, way off track. Way off track, but interesting. We'll go. We'll go through to 2017. So this was in Belarus. You were again the favorite, but you came in second again. Um, the, <laughs> the depth, the depth issue came back on the third squad of 300, right? Yeah, must on depth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then how'd you go on? How'd you go on bench? Uh, yeah, three out of three. Uh, so I've just checked my record, two oh eight and a half. Yep, and then um, deadlift, you missed your second and your third. Is that right? Yeah, was yeah. that on grip as well? Yeah, right. It was on grip, man. It was. It's the most heartbreaking way to miss a deadlift, hey? Like when you feel like it's moving, and then your hands are opening, and you literally you can't move your body because anything that moves, the bar just goes from your hand. Yeah, exactly, bro. And. The thing, the thing that was so annoying at that is, like, and I should have been more aware of it. There were so many people missing on grip. Like that bar on that platform was actually like real average. Eh? Mm. Like it was an eco bar, mm. but the knurling was so average. Yeah, a lot of a lot of lifters just throughout the week missed were missing lifts. Like not just not just on your in your session, but like earlier in the week as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I've lifted uh, three seventeen many times on the. In the gym and even at comps, I've done you know three twenty, three twenty two. Um, so I've done all that before, but like, even I, th- I think even on the two ninety, like if I was honest with myself, I noticed that my grip wasn't quite there. And like it's and I, like I know the bar was a factor because I can say like, a lot of other lifters missed too. And I was also like you know a lot of people say that if you get sick, one of the first things to go is your grip strength. I don't know how much you know how valid that is, but you know I was actually quite sick that whole week in Belarus. Than going and competing, so it's hard to say. But yeah, basically dismissed it on grip, and that's what it is. So the the Kazakh lifter, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He kind of like hunted you off on his on his third pull for the win. Yeah, 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 he did. Um, and he had been previously banned for substance use as well. How does it yeah. make you feel competing against someone like that who's been previously oh, that banned? Pissed me off, man. I hate it so much. Because eh? you didn't shake his hand, did you? No, no. He- he came out the back after he won, and he wanted to shake my hand. And I just told him, "No, I don't, I don't shake his hand because he's a drug cheat." And that's, um, you know, that's not out of disrespect because he beat me. Uh, if I'd beaten him, I wouldn't have shaken his hand. Mm-hmm. I don't shake guys' hands that cheat, man. Like, I've got, I've got no time for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's my stance. <clears throat> I'm not like. Yeah, it drives me insane, man. Like, you shouldn't be able to come back and lift against people who have gone about it the right way. Like, he's already robbed people before. He's um, he went to two thousand and when he got banned, the one he got banned on, I think it was an Open World Championships in two thousand fourteen. Is when he did it. He set the junior world record. He totaled nine hundred kilos. He came second or third in the Open, so he's already robbed people of the podium. So. He should be banned for life. Like, there's no reason we shouldn't be banning people like that for life. He was a blatant cheater. I remember, like, I remember what, because I got up to watch him. Like, I was like, you know, like, I was into my equipment lifting. It was three or four months after after junior equipment worlds for me. Or, yeah, it was it was close to it anyway. And I was gonna, I was thinking he was going to beat the squat world record. Um, so I wanted just to see what he did and, I remember just seeing him, his acne all over his face and his back, or like, you could just see it all down his neck, sorry, and yeah, and I was like, oh, holy shit, and then yeah, he got popped, and just a disgrace, man, I didn't, I didn't want to lift against him, and yeah, no respect. So, this was another world in which you had missed a few lifts, 
and been pipped at the post by this bloke who you resented competing against. Um, again, same question as in 2015. Say he hadn't made his final pull and you'd won, you would have been dissatisfied with your performance anyway. Do you think so? Yeah, 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 man. Like, it's, 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 yeah. Like, and that's the thing, man, with me. Like, I've had so many, I've had good performances, but I've had so many bad performances as well. And it was just another one, man. Like, I just shouldn't have made a jump that was unnecessary. Like, I jumped from 295 to 317 and a half. Like, mm. It would have been a new world record total. Like, like it was, I was heading towards, you know, what was potentially going to be something like, you know, three twenty-five. Uh, sorry, eight twenty-five, eight thirty total. You know, just trying to get to the, those numbers. You know, that I like so desperately want to get to and keep pushing the boundaries. But again, just getting the way of myself of winning a world championship, being over aggressive and just not executing on lifts that I know I should be executing on. Um, so yeah, poor decision making, poor lifting. And just probably not a good, uh, I guess, level of maturity on a stage that I should be trying, you know, lifting maturity on. So I was actually going to ask this question after we spoke about 2018, which is like the redemption story. <laughs> um, but, but I'll ask it now because I think it's an interesting time to talk about it. Um, for years, like at least probably since 2014, you've been considered by the broader powerlifting community as like one of the most talented lifters in the sport and somebody who could set all-time world records in you know any and all of the lifts and the total. People have been talking about you totaling 830 for a number of years. Um, how do you think you've dealt with that pressure and do you think it that itself has impacted the way in which you performed and approached performing at Worlds? Um, no, I don't think so, man. I've always just... You know, like, I, like the, I guess the reason to get into that position is because you've got your own drive and discipline to, you know, you're trying to get to a place where you want to go, so you just keep doing what you want to do. And I don't really ultimately let the others dictate, you know, where I'm going to be in five years or who I'm going to be in a few years or what numbers I'm going to lift. Like, I need to go and just do that myself. So I haven't really been too concerned about that. I guess um, knowing you're the favourite, you know, plays some role in how you think you should be performing you know, like, you know, I, I take those, you know, like, you know, those those competitions where I go five from nine, six from nine, like, it hurts even more knowing that, you know, like, guys are looking up to me or, like, people think, oh, I'm supposed to be this, you know, this unbeatable guy and then I'm going and just doing performances like that. Like, that hits even harder as well because um, I've got that level of expectation, like, oh, he should be doing this, he's capable of this, but he's not doing it. So that, that like, that plays a factor definitely as far as, like, motivation and that is concerned and, like, you know, your own self-assessment, your own, the, the pressure you put on yourself. Um, and, and it can be tough to deal with at times as well. Yeah, sure. So um, we'll, we'll zoom forward to this year. Um, finally, an excellent performance at Worlds. And well, one that... One that <laughs> you're getting a roasting, like, inadvertent. I was being nice. <laughs> yeah. Finally, a good performance. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no swearing on the podcast. Oh shit! Nah. <laughs> no, no swearing. Oh shit! <laughs> We're kidding, man. You can swear. Anyway, finally, a performance that you've been capable of for a long time, and you actually made everything look really easy because you were pretty conservative with your attempts. You made sure you went out and won. You made sure you made lifts, and um, you totaled eight thirty and a half at eighty three under eighty three. I don't know exactly what you weighed in at, but you squatted two ninety nine. Um, for the world record to chip Russ, who did it just before you. Um, you benched 214, and then Owen came and chipped you straight away. 
um, and you pulled three seventeen, uh, three twelve and a half, or three seventeen and a half, three seventeen and a half, three seventeen and a half. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, man, and it. that gave me <laughs> fuck it up. What did you say? He goes, "Come on, bro, get it right." <laughs> 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 um, and that gave you the ten times body weight total that you're after. Um, what felt better for you, the redemption or like just hitting all your goals? Um. Yeah, oh, I mean the. Well, I guess this one was a little. I uh, thought about it a little bit different. I was like, I just need to go and win. That's what that was my focus this time. I, 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 everything was a blur. Like all my attempts were really, you know, not a great. They were really on the on the easier side. Like we were just looking at attempts that were going to do us well positionally, right? So I, I was just going in with the mindset this year. I was like, I just want to win. I want to beat Russell. Russell was my main competitor, um, but you know, whoever was going to be there to challenge me, I just wanted to beat them. So I just went about it that way, and it just felt really good to execute on what I'd set out to do and stay true to that goal for once. And it's funny that, you know, maybe when you do that, you actually go on a, you go and actually, you know, do stuff like total 10 times body weight and achieve some of those numbers that we actually set out to achieve. And, mm. yeah, it was funny going about it that way and actually achieving the, the result that you ultimately do want as well. And that's the kind of thing that you would kind of in, try and instill in your clients, I'm sure is that you go and do what you're capable of and if you do that, you'll hit the best total. You don't yeah, try and yeah. get lofty and miss and you know then what happens, you know, the prior years happens. Yeah, exactly, man. And you, you'll see that like, and that it's such an easy thing to do and like say like you'll give your clients like, oh, okay, here's what I think your nine attempts should be. Oh, but I want to go heavier on the deadlift. Can we up these by 15? Well, it's like, well, no, your training really hasn't shown that. We want to go and make lifts and mm. so let's, let's just go and do that, mm. you know, and it's, it's 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 actually just such a hard thing to get your head around, like, and you know that's that's why I've had so many ups and downs is because you just you know like we're on that path of like we just want to get better and better and better and better, and it's just trying to find that balance of mm. like you know of like actually you know putting the right the the right weight on the bar for what you need to achieve in this given scenario, and that's like that's a hard thing to do when you want more weight than you can probably handle, you know? Yeah, for sure. So is that the big lesson that you've learned? If you look back across the years we've spoken about, is that the like the way you would sum it up? Or are there other things that you took away from each year that have sort of added up to that performance in 2018? Yeah, there's, I guess like, yeah. So the way I think now is I realize how important execution of the lift is. So like when we have a training session throughout the week and we have a dedicated competition squat day, competition bench day, competition deadlift day like you need to actually make sure you do them correctly like you need to make sure you squat to death you know that you're like you're squatting in a way where you are actually going to get white light that you are moving the bench you know most for most people it's pausing the bench and being comfortable doing that while you're lifting the weights that you you know you're trying to work towards like so if whatever's programmed do it in the right way and it's for deadlifts it's you know having a consistent week-to-week deadlift program that you know, that you can actually get through, you see consistent results, you're locking your deadlifts out, you're standing erect, you're not dropping the bar, you're holding the bar, like, just all the basic shit, just actually do it. And for me, that's doing that week in, week out. And, you know, I've, I've been lifting for so long now, what, 10, 11 years? And it's like, I'm only just realising that now. So, yeah, so that's, those, those have really been the biggest things for me, just... Do things the way you need to do them, and then when you go to comp day, your head is so clear that you just go out and 
nothing changes. It doesn't matter. There was no pressure on me that day. Like when I went out to do any of those lifts, I didn't feel any pressure. I was just like, I'm just going to go and do it. I, I, I know I can do it, and that's what I went and did. So for me, that was a huge takeaway. And um, stick, you know, sticking to the plan, sticking to the goal. It's just like my goal, like I said, for that day was to was to go and win, and to like you know part of part of that was you know the game plan was to take the least amount of weight that gave us the best sort of you know positional you know um, position I guess what do you want to say so so I was presented with like an opportunity on third to ten bench was like hey Brett look we can go two fourteen or two fourteen and a half whatever and that's that's really what we what we need on the lower end but if we want to add more weight it's going to make sense, then we might as well go to 217 or 218, like one of those sort of numbers, um, which, I, you're, which you're probably capable of today. But it just means that, um, you know, if, if we go to that and we make that, we're going to have more room in the deadlift if we're close there. And I said, just put 214 on, man. That's all I need. Um, you know, the lowest number I need to make some sort of, you know, improvement in my total. We did that. Whereas probably a lot of other years I would have gone, oh, no, man, I'm good for 217. Just load that up. And, you know, potentially could have missed that, you know. So just taking, like, way less riskier options and, you know, while still being on the track to, you know, making PBs and, you know, but obviously keeping that, that main goal uh, priority, which was winning the competition. So, yeah, huge takeaways, but it's, um, you know, finally convincing yourself that you should actually stick to that and not go on the last minute and actually try to change it up. Yeah, I think something that's often overlooked by a lot of powerlifters, especially new powerlifters, is the winner on the day is whoever has the biggest total. And, yeah. like, that sounds so stupid, but it's so, like, people often overlook that. Like, and to get the biggest total, you have to make the most lifts. So, like, yeah. putting dumb attempts on the bar because you might have a shot at it is not absolutely not the way to go. Yeah, exactly, man. And I, and I think, like, you know, trying to coach that to someone, trying to tell that to someone, like, it's, it's easy to do, but to actually actually for them to actually believe it and execute it they've got to believe it themselves they've got to sort of you've got to find your own way there eh? like think about how many times someone has come to me after my performances and been like bro put the fucking right weight on the bar man what are you up to why did you jump 22 kilo it's all your shit out like no shit man no shit but i need to like i need to put that in my own head my own way and that might take that's that might take someone you know one or two comps that might take someone else 10 comms to actually realise, oh, shit, that's probably what I need to do. Yeah, three or four world championships. What's that, sorry? (laughs) I said it might take three or four world championships. (laughs) I was being a sniper. might take more, bro. It might take six. You know, know, that's just how it is, man. Like, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of self-development that you're going to have to go through to, you know, get all these things, uh, you know, correct. And that's probably why it's taken me so long because I'm just – that's just just how wide, man. I'm just like, nah, man. Give me more. Give me more. Yeah, Will and I, um, most of our lifters go eight or nine out of nine every time, and neither of us have been nine for nine ever. Yeah, so. <laughs> we're we're really good at telling people and really bad at doing it. Yeah, do as we do as our clients do, not as we do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, then that's that's true, man. It's like, yeah, like that, and that that just goes back to like what you say to others, and if you're helping them along the way, you just you you want to try and instill like how you think it should go and then it's just actually them trying to execute that and them to believe that themselves and feel like, oh no, that is the right way. That's how it should go about it. 
can sometimes be just two completely different things. Eh? Yeah, and it's so much easier to be objective when you look at other people. Like, all the fucking armchair powerlifters can look at you and say, oh, well, why didn't Brett attempt, whatever, two kilos less on those three attempts than he would have killed it? It's the same, like, it's easy for people to look at us and say, you should have done a tiny bit less, your total would be better. But when it's you in the moment, like, on the day, it's really hard for you to make those decisions, and that's why you need coaches and you need direction and you need to learn those lessons, like, by reflecting. You know? Yeah, exactly. And that and that that coaching relationship can sometimes be a tough one as well. Like, I mean, there's probably very few times I've wanted uh, someone to tell me what to lift. Like, I'm like, no, well, actually, I want to do this. Like, <laughs> and there's and there's very few people you're going to instill that trust in to, you know, to actually go, oh, no, okay, you load what you want. Like, you know, JP being, you know, one of them. Like, you know, he's someone like I could show up to a guy anytime, anywhere, and I just be like, all right, bro, let's get it done. Mm. Uh, just put whatever weight you think is good on the bar, and he's gonna he's gonna achieve that um, to the best of anyone that anyone could do, you know. So um, yeah, that, that's a big thing as well. Eh, is actually allowing someone else to take that control. So to wrap this up quickly, who's a better coach, JP or Mike T? <laughs> no, they've um, to <laughs> <laughs> answer like that. They're um, they're both just awesome coaches, man. Okay, who's both a better awesome coaches? What's that, sorry? Who's a better bloke? Who's a better bloke? Definitely Mike. Yeah, Mike for sure. Oh, Mike for sure. <laughs> Cop that, JP. All right. Maybe shit cunt. That's what everyone calls JP. Isn't oh. that his nickname now? Eh? Yeah, it is. All right. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back to chat with Brett a little more. Cheers, guys. So we're back on Weekly Weights. This is episode 26. I'm Will. With me is Alex. With us is Brett Gibbs. And now we wanted to talk about sort of some recent events and world powerlifting. So um, those of you who've been listening to us for a while or who heard our episode with Rob Wilkes are aware that Powerlifting Australia was excluded from the IPF and subsequently Rob formed World Powerlifting, which is a new rival International Powerlifting Federation. Um, And at the time, Rob was quite confident that New Zealand would join world powerlifting. Um, and in the wake of that, I think it was in August, there was um, there was a New Zealand Powerlifting Federation National Congress with a motion put forward um, basically to the members of New Zealand Powerlifting Federation who were considered the stakeholders um, about whether they were going to affiliate with world powerlifting. So, Brett, were you there um, at that meeting at the Congress? Yes. Yes, so- I was. Um, we're just going to interrogate you now, like like you're in court. Do you remember what the actual, um, like what the particulars of this story were? How was it announced? And, you know, what was the process of affiliation described as? Um, the, I guess this, the process was that the NEC put forward a proposal to change the constitution to realign um, their powerlifting rulebook and affiliation from IPF to World Powerlifting Organization, basically. That was what they wanted to do, and there was uh, really no discussion to be had until the NEC meeting, um, that they weren't making any public statements or talking about it in any sort of general forum or anything like that. It was just come to the meeting if you want to vote and have your say there, ask questions there. So a couple of points of interest that I noted. There was actually a Facebook post put out by the New Zealand Powerlifting Federation, which I think was the first like formal announcement of this. And then yeah. there was a huge comment thread on it. 
and a few people actually linked to our podcast, which I appreciated. And it also, um, it was also sort of made apparent that a bloke whose name I think is like Steve Lusick or Lausich, um, was a World Power Think board member, and he's a member of the executive committee of, or he was of the New Zealand Power Think Federation. But he decided he was to. The president. It was the president, was he? Okay. Steve Lusick. That's it. And he said he was going to sort of exclude himself from New Zealand Powerlifting Federation matters until that was settled. Oh, no, sorry, other way around. He was excluding himself from World Powerlifting matters until New Zealand's affiliation was settled and that the change required a two-thirds majority. So those were all things that were sort of made public. But beyond that, like you said, there didn't seem to be a huge lot of information being circulated about what it would actually mean for the lifters. Um, And on that post, Steve said that... um, We good? That was an accident. Um, Steve said that Rob Wilkes and a representative from the IPF were both going to do presentations about, you know, the pros and cons, I guess, of staying with their respective federations. Um, what, what did they have to say there and how was it received by the crowd? Um, yeah, so Robert Keller, who's the vice president of the IPF, um, and yeah, Robert Wilkes here, who's obviously the president of World Power thing. Um, it was, it was, to be honest, it was a bit of a shit show, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was quite just a, it was almost became a back and forth. Um, you know, like, you know, Will Powerlifting just trying to pretty much just, you know, say just negative things in regards to drug testing and how, uh, like, how the IPF do it and how they're going to do it so much better and um, how they, you know, They've already changed some rules that people didn't like. You know, they, you guys have heard about the rule changes that they initially proposed and put out and told everyone this is different. And um, and then Robert Keller has come up and said, this is what the IPF do. Here's, here's where, who we're affiliated with. We're very strict on drug testing. You know, we want everyone to enjoy powerlifting and just just pretty much had his, had his say on what they do and, and that was really it. And then just a bunch of people asked questions. Um, and, and yeah, Steve started the meeting by addressing, I think, why he wanted to, to change. It was, yeah. So, yeah. What, what, were his, like, what were his reasons for wanting to um, affiliate with World Powerlifting instead of the IPF? Pretty much just out of, from what it felt like, it was just the frustration that they had experienced with... Um, with the IPF, you know, kicking Powerlifting Australia out, um, kicking the Oceania Federation out, um, and not getting money that they were supposedly entitled to, like for the racks and that was supposed to be sent over. You know, all you all stuff you guys have probably heard about. Um, you know, not being able to lift in uh, other federations was an argument that they were trying to make, like saying in the IPF, like, that they can't go and lift another federation even if it's drug tested or it was it was something like that anyway. It was a real stupid argument like about being why why should we be associated to them? Like what's the what's the point of even being associated to, the, to them as an international body? Um, and there, there was I don't know there was no real there was nothing really valid like saying that why we should change. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just a it was a lot of crap really. So in the Facebook discussions, um, particularly subsequently, like after the meeting, people were saying that 
the motion wasn't necessarily to leave the IPF per se. It was to affiliate with World Powerlifting, which I guess is meant to give New Zealand Powerlifting Federation members the opportunity to compete in both. But then the IPF rules state apparently that you can't. Um, and Steve was saying on Facebook that this was unenforceable. Was that ever clarified to you? Yeah, so they they were they were arguing about that though because Robert Keller was you know had the rule book there and he's saying you know fourteen point one fourteen point two or, or something like that anyway. Mm. Um, you know you can't you can't lift in any other federation. Uh, and then uh, what's his name? Lucid was saying well, and Wilkes was saying well, that's not enforceable. You can't enforce that. And Robert was Robert Keller was just like we'll enforce it. You can't lift in other federations. Like you'll get banned. Um, and yeah, they they like they know that too. Like they were trying to make it out like, oh, if you come to World Powerlifting, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can go lift in the other federation, you know, so long as it's um, drug testing and that. But they know that like you, you can't just go and lift in any federation and do whatever you want. Like they're just saying that to try and make it out like they're getting one up on the IPF when they know that's not really a valid case. So again, this is getting deeply hypothetical. But say that um, New Zealand Powerlifting Federation had affiliated with World Powerlifting and remained with the IPF, would you have chosen to compete exclusively in the IPF and not touch World Powerlifting, or would you have wanted to compete with World Powerlifting? No, I don't want to compete with World Powerlifting. I was offered, uh, I was offered uh, a paid trip to Nauru, uh, combination included. Um, to come and compete in December, all paid for, and I declined it. And so, I mean, that sort of leads us to the next question, which was, and it's been pretty apparent what your opinion was, that you should stay with the IPF. Um, why particularly do you think staying with the IPF was important? Um, I just feel like, you know, that's where the, all the lifting history has been. There's always going to be, you know, some political problems up the top, like we probably see with anything. Um and I, I just don't feel like there was a there was actually a huge reason to leave. I feel like that the NEC, the whole board, are just good friends with Robert Wilkes, and there was no one else in the that I'm even aware of outside of Oceania that was considering, you know, moving to World Powerlifting from an IPF body to World Powerlifting body. Um, so I feel like they were just they were. They were just highly, you know, because they know him so well. They just they felt like they that they were doing the right the right thing. Like it was like they were just picking their side. Like they were his friend. They were going to go with him. They weren't actually like thinking as far as the the members were concerned. Which is obviously why you have to bring it to the members to to vote. Um, so I feel like it, it just wasn't a good time. Nothing was established with World Powerlifting. There was no competition there. We didn't know anything about World Powerlifting. Why the hell would we move? our federation to realign with them. Not only is it realigning where the members are, but it's all the financials that the, you know, that the NZPF accounts hold. It's everything that they've got. So it's not just about, you know, it's not like we're just moving and sort of starting again. It's like you're taking literally everything away from people who want to lift in the IPF because you're going to take all the accounts, take all the money, and we're going to have to essentially start again. Whereas you guys, if you guys want to move to World Powerlifting, why don't you guys just start somewhere else, start again with no money, no website, no nothing, and start about it, you go about it yourself. So let me play devil's advocate. Um, you are somebody who has lost a world championship to somebody who had been popped for a drug test 
and then come second and subsequently been awarded gold to somebody who was pinged for a drug um, drug test again. We've spoken about that yeah. earlier, and it pissed you off real badly. Do you not think that some of Rob Wilkes's criticism of the IPF's drug testing practices were valid, and did that factor in your decision at all? So what's uh, what's an example like? So um, okay, if you you can go back and listen to our podcast to get it in depth, but one couple of the claims that Rob has made are basically that the IPF's headline drug testing percentage of its athletes is sort of basically a furphy because there are certain countries like Australia who do really good drug testing and then certain countries who recorded no drug testing at all in the periods, but when they average it out internationally, it looks like it meets standards. And he claimed that a bunch of the drug tests in certain years were faked and that out of competition or tests that were labeled as out of competition tests were actually conducted in competition because they were within the dates of the World Games period, for instance. So in reality, the IPF's out-of-competition drug testing was crap and it was only being conducted in certain nations, whereas the ones with bad doping records were given a free pass and it was implied but not stated um, that that might have been because the IPF weren't really that interested in testing those nations for one reason or another. Um, You know, you've been basically a victim of people who have been drug cheats. Rob is saying he has a vision for world powerlifting where drug testing will be conducted much better and the sport will be cleaner. Did that factor into your decision at all or were you still just anti? Yeah, I mean, I just don't know what, you know, like it's it's easy to make claims and just and just say things like that. And, um, but, you know, how is he actually going to make it better? Like where's all the money going to come from to, to get all of the testing you want? You know, the guys that I've lost to, you know, like Jose got caught. It's not like he didn't get caught. He got caught by a drug testing. Um, the other guy that I came second to um, from wherever he's from, you know, he'd been caught before, but he'd served his ban length. Like, he didn't, and, and, and like, who, who dictates the ban? Is it WADA or is it the IPF? Um, I'm actually not entirely sure. I think it's a WADA statute, but I'm not 100% on that. I'm I think, pretty sure it's WADA. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's WADA. So, like, I mean, who's he going to associate with? It's going to be wider, isn't it? Isn't he like yeah, Will yeah. Mess? So it's, that's the same idea. So in my in my mind, nothing would have changed with those two anyway. Jose got caught, but well, back. maybe Jose would have been caught out of competition because he probably what, what we're saying is he probably wasn't tested out of competition. Yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially, but he he did get caught. So I mean that that we are we are catching people. There's no doubt about that. Do, do I want more testing? Do I want more out-of-competition out testing? For sure. I mean, but, you know, like where I live in New Zealand, I've been tested once out of competition. One year we didn't even hand in our drug testing results for the year. I was going to say that like, actually. We're a part of the problem. Yeah, we. when I looked at some of Rob's um, papers on drug testing within the period that he was head of the anti-doping authority or whatever it at the IPF, yeah. there was a year in which New Zealand didn't submit any out-of-competition testing. Exactly, and the and then the, the numbers, when you guys had that conversation, I listened to the podcast, the, the numbers, like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, 60% of the countries didn't hand, any, hand anything in as well. Like, you go look at the countries that don't hand anything in. Have you seen the countries that don't hand anything in? Yeah. Well, like some New of them Caledonia. are too... Yeah, but some of them are New Caledonia, and then some of them are, like, you know, large Asian and Eastern European countries with hundreds of lifters. 
you know, um, who roll yeah, what I'm saying, but you, 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 you roll out some of those ones that aren't even attending the world champs, mm. and then you and then you then then look at the numbers, then crunch those numbers from there, the percentages from there. Has anyone done that? Is anyone no. speaking from that point of view? No, we haven't done. Oh, I haven't done that anyway. I should say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying, like, I understand what he was like, what he was getting at. There was so many countries that hadn't done it, but how many of those countries were actually valid countries who were actually taking medals who were, you know, sure. who were taken from someone else who were potentially taking drugs? I mean, yeah. So I mean, that, that's because I went and looked at all those results too over the last sort of five years, and that was a trend I noticed. They were just almost nothing countries, and for the most part. And you say, like, you know, even some of those other countries, like, they're not showing up to Royal Worlds and taking medals, even those Eastern European ones. How many Russians got medals at Worlds this year? I don't know. How many got medals? Not, not that many. Like, it's not like they're a super, super strong country and, uh, and you Russians. know, Royal lifting and that. Yeah, yeah, a few. Um, Definitely a few. I guess when you talk about those countries, though, that aren't sending anybody to Worlds, this was another criticism Rob had of the IPF, was that some of these countries don't send anyone to Worlds, they don't send anyone to IPF meetings in Luxembourg. Like, there's, he yeah. you know, he argues they're basically shell organisations that give the IPF an air of authenticity that it doesn't necessarily deserve and that they can use yeah. to, re- like, to basically use as, like, a voting block to get the will of, you know, Gaston Parage through. Again, that's an allegation from Rob. That's not necessarily what Alex... Yeah, Arnold but is. I agree. Like, those countries shouldn't be on the IPF list of countries because they... I've never even seen any of them show up anywhere. That's why would like let's say if you were to say New Caledonia for example, right? You want to do powerlifting in New Caledonia and you want to be in the IPF. Why the hell would you want to be in the IPF? Why don't you just show up to your gym and lift at the comp that they have the New Caledonia powerlifting team or the new you know whatever they want to call the federation? Why would you be associated to an international body and pay money when you can't do that it internationally? Yeah, just yeah, but no one no one's going anyway. Yeah. And if they want to go one year, they can just they can just associate themselves. Yeah, true. Like, you know, like, why don't they just disassociate? And I know that like that looks crap. Like, how many realistically countries are there actually that should be associated with the IPF? It's way less than what is shown on record. Yes, um, no doubt about. It. But that again leads us to another criticism that Rob made. And like again, just to be clear, I'm playing devil's advocate to get your thoughts, not not to argue. Yeah, with you. yeah. but you are. yeah. But you know when I like when Oceania was excluded, like New Zealand and Australia are the countries that prop up all the Pacific Island nations and things who are too poor to really do much powerlifting and have much infrastructure. So by excluding Oceania, um, presumably because Rob was making a nuisance of himself, the IPF has taken away the opportunity for development of the sport in that country. You know, and is still asking them to pay levies and things to the IPF if they want to stay involved. Like it's making it impossible to grow the sport in that area. Yeah, but they've already established a new Australian Powerlifting Union, um, which was which was funded by money from the IPF, well actually paid by SBD, I believe, and the exact same thing for a new Oceania body, where they've been given money to set up a competition, set up their infrastructure, to get the lifters in those areas pretty much essentially where they were at, just without Robert Wills. Are you aware, do you know if New Zealand's going to be able to continue to support those countries now, like in the absence of powerlifting Australia? Well, you're talking about New Zealand Powerlifting Federation? Yeah, not you personally, just like, yeah, the Federation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know what you mean. But remember, World Powerlifting has been set up in New Zealand now as well. Yeah. 
so they've got their own body. So, yeah, so I guess if, so the Oceania obviously has their new um, structure. So whoever wants to fall under that, I mean, Nauru, I think all those countries have moved to World Powerlifting. Have they not? Yeah, like Nauru's gone, and I, I think like Tuvalu and Kiribati and stuff, for what matters, yeah. have gone. Exactly. So, so, I mean, we're not going to, as New Zealand, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure New Zealand Powerlifting Federation is not going to be sending money to Nauru to help with their growth of their sport when they're not even in the same federation. I'm sure that's going to be um, done now by World Powerlifting because they're going to be under the same body. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like New Zealand doesn't send money across to New Zealand GPC to help them grow. <laughs> no. So you can't expect that same thing to happen if they're not even associated anymore. Again, we've set up the new Oceania body. They're more than welcome to join. And if they do join, I'm sure they will continue to help grow the sport in their country. But if they're not associated, then, I mean, why would we? Sure. Let's. I think this actually leads into a discussion that Alex and I have had. And we spoke um, with Tom about this as well, Thomas Lilly. Um, diluting the best talent across more than one federation is like a real shame for the actual sport of powerlifting because, like, you know, in yeah. your like, say in your instance, John Hack doesn't compete in the IPF. That kind of sucks. But in the instance of like yeah. Ray Williams, we now have Jezza Uwepa competing in world powerlifting. So, like, you know, somebody who and he's probably not not as good as Ray, but like, you know, somebody who would have been a great rival to him is no longer there. Um, as somebody who's probably in the discussion for being like the best lifter of your body weight on earth, how do you feel about the prospect of, yeah, basically people who could be competing with you being elsewhere because of world powerlifting? Yeah, I mean, it's not like, not just because of world powerlifting, they're, like, they're just one of the other organisations, but again, they are further diluting it, just like any other federation dilutes uh, a pool of talent. Um, and it absolutely sucks. Uh, I mean, and that's just what it is. Like, if a lifter wants to go and lift against the best in the world, they can generally go and find a way to do that. So you can't, I mean, you can't exactly just blame the federation because the federation has a has a way that they want to approach the sport. But at the end of the day, like, if the lifter, the lifters that want to be the best in the world and want to go lift with the best in the world, generally, the you know, for most people, that's, it just comes down to one thing, and that's just drug-tested and non-drug-tested. That's pretty much what it comes down to, and then you're going to go to the competitions that are the best in those ones. And we're we're such a small minority of powerlifting that it's probably you know near, near, like I wouldn't make a decision to stay in the IPF just because I want to go to IPF Worlds. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it's genuinely actually a better federation to be a part of um, on you know all aspects, beginner, intermediate, uh, you know, world level. So. You know, like, yeah, it dilutes it, but, you know, Jezza, if he wants to come and lift at IPF Worlds, he's got every right to do so. He can. I'm sure they can start a Nauru IPF body, and there's no excuses for him not to come to IPF Worlds. He can't complain. He's got every avenue to go and do it. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I've never heard it from that angle. Yeah. Um, you have never actually lifted for world powerlifting or competed in world powerlifting, yet you are still listed as a record holder. Um, yeah. In the 85 kilo class. Yeah. Firstly, stop taking my records, bro. <laughs> I, I want some of Please those. Please take them, bro. <laughs> um, take em. Don't hold uh, your breath, man. Yeah. <laughs> Give me 20 years. <clears throat> um, how does it feel to, even though you've said you don't want to compete in world powerlifting, to 
have records? Like, how does that feel to you? Yeah, I was um, I was disappointed. I wasn't allowed to see them there. Someone, uh, um, what's it, Thomas Lilly sent it to me, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, hashtag triggered one morning. I was like, you fuck, take them down <laughs> on our Facebook. I don't, I, don't, I don't want them on there, man. It makes it out that, that I've lifted a more powerlifting when I haven't. Mm. So, you know, obviously it's because of the Oceania affiliation now, you know, they're, because they're affiliated to World Powerlifting and whatever. Um, and that's why they're on there. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It sucks, but, you know, that's the way that they've chosen to go about it, which I don't necessarily agree with. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, try and fight it and get my name taken down or anything like that. It's just not worth it. Do you think that having people like you, like with with world records attributed to you in world powerlifting, do you think that is an attempt to make the federation appear legitimate or do you think that is literally just because you competed in Oceania, that's considered the best ever performance and they're trying to use that as their basis from here on? Yeah, I think it's just them trying to make it look legitimate. They've got new weight classes. They should just have standards that they feel are appropriate and start from there. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, weight class change and you're not freezing the record. How stupid is that? Yeah, I agree with that. They're going yes. through the head. How many did they have wrong? They had so many. Everyone was complaining about birthdays were wrong. I wasn't even in that weight class. You know, they're going through and searching all the body weight. Like, how hard are they trying to set some standards, man? That's, yeah. that's how I, that's how I feel like they should do it. So definitely, hundred percent agree with that. If the standards had literally just been your lifts and instead said standard next to it, would that have been cool by you though? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Come on, man. Yeah, fair enough. All right, um, another question. So it's not really apples for apples when we compare lifters between federations. Um, and you did say like you were really motivated by that equipped world record that you had because it was like an all-time record. To you, um, are you more interested in being the best lifter in the federation you choose to compete in, or would you like to, say, squat something that nobody under 83 or 85 kilos in any federation has squatted more than? What's more important? I don't know. Like, I've I've gone through those phases. Like, I remember even a few years ago, I'd be like, even earlier than that, I'd be like, I want to be the greatest of all time, you know? Like, that was my mindset. I'm like... I'm going to be the go. Like, I'm going to do shit there. No one, like, that's going to be like, what? We can't catch that. Someone freeze the record. Let's start again. Like, that that was what I wanted to be like. And um, I know I've, I've always stayed true to the IPF. I wanted to lift in the IPF. I feel like that was, again, like, to me, it's just, it was just what I started in. And so I wanted to obviously be the best in that. And at that point now, you know, where I've, you know, won a couple of those world champs, I've, you know, had a good performance, got the 800, got the 830, and it's just like, um, you know, what's next? Do I want to just, you know, jump into the to the un- untested and go to the US Open or, you know, what do I want to do? And it's... The it's dark side. To decide. What's that, sorry? The dark side. To the dark side. I'll stay <laughs> on the uh, the light side, but I'll lift with the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to have a really quick break. Uh, Alex, I don't know how to work your computer. Quick break, and then we're going to ask Brett the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person and let him off the hook. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Weekly Weights, episode 26. We're here with Brett Gibbs. We're going to ask him the four questions that tell us everything you need to know about a person. Question one, if you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? 
Um, I'll take them out today, and I'll just go out for them when I do the same thing. No, you got to pick the bill up, uh, man. Oh, fuck. Probably Joe Rogan. I'd love to go have a chat with Joe Rogan, have a beer, and I don't know. And not have any carbs with have him. Have a chat. What's that? Not have any carbs with him. He's on that carb life. He's off and on, man. <laughs> Yeah, he's a sick looking oh, no, so I, just, I just think he's um I just think it'd be super interesting, eh? Like have so many good stories and people he's met. Yeah, man. Um, you love MMA, don't you? Yeah, I love MMA. I'm Talk real into his like hunting stuff as well, yeah. like boat hunting. Not that I've ever been, but I just like find it real fascinating. And yeah, I just think it'd be a super cool dude to chat to. Actually you're keen on spearfishing, aren't you? Oh I love it, bro. Love it. What what do you catch when you go? Like kingfish or what? Uh, yeah, so Kingfish, uh, so we're I live in Wellington, so the south of the North Island. Um, we have so Kingfish are only in the warmer water, so you'll only get them for like four months of the year, like generally over summer. And um, yeah, Butterfish, uh, what else, Kawai. Um, the real good guys get some snapper down here in summer. Yeah. Uh, I, I've shot snapper up north, um, and you'll just get like crayfish and power, really. How cold is it in the water? Like, if you're there in winter, uh, it must be freezing. So, what, I dive all year round. So, winter gets as cold as about 10 degrees. That's cold. So, it's yeah. pretty cold. And summer is, I don't know, probably 16 to 18 degrees. It's like pretty nice temperature. Yeah, it's not bad. And what, like, how thick's your wetsuit? Uh, five mil, open cell. Five, five mil is very thick if people don't know wetsuits. Um, really okay. comfortable, though. Yeah. All right, question two. It's like an equipped bench bench shirt, right? Oh, right. It's way better. You, you got, <laughs> the technology on them is so good. But it feels like there's like yeah, a spring on your chest when you shoot your spear. <laughs> <laughs> um, question two. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, probably say Tiger Woods. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't say Richie McCaw. I would have like literally ended this podcast now. Tiger Woods. I would end my life if that was my answer as well. Oh, really? You don't like rugby? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not a fan of rugby, man. It's, a, it's all good. That's it's so just weird. saturated and boring. In New Zealand, maybe it's saturated and boring. In Australia, there's like it's, rugby union barely gets a mention these days. It's like... Because we fucking suck. Yeah, well, we're not very yeah. good right now. I went to, I, you know, um, I went to my first, uh, second All Blacks game ever just two weekends ago with my girlfriend. She yeah. had never been to a game before. Oh, so, the I mean, one against South fun, Africa. I never watched her on TV. Yes, yeah, the South African game, yeah. That was an incredible match, like incredible. Yeah, well, it was good. But yeah, it's just not into rugby, but yeah, Tiger Woods, man, that's, yeah. that's the guy, I reckon. Why Tiger Woods? I don't know. Like, I, like I grew up playing golf. Like I played golf for a number of years, always enjoyed it. And um, just something about, you know, watch, like watching golf itself is not that exciting, right? Yeah. But just when Tiger's playing, it's just like you're just drawn to it. Like he's, he's, I think he's got a like, great personality on the course. Um, generally with like media and stuff and just um, some of the stuff he's accomplished in his golfing career it's just always exciting to watch him and and, um, and then just recently obviously this year with his comeback after his you know back surgery and you know just his general comeback story after his life sort of almost fell apart um, to go and win like win the last tournament last tournament of the PGA uh, season uh, just awesome man it was just so good to watch eh? and I just yeah man it's just awesome man all right. What about okay? Question number three. So, um, which movie or television character are you most like? I don't know, man. I don't. I don't. I don't really watch any TV. I've been trying to trying to think of this one. Yeah. 
I don't know, boys, you got. So I hate Gimli. throwing you in the New Zealander. Yeah, I hate doing like the New Zealander cliches, but like Gimli from Lord of the Rings, just because you're sorry that you're short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah any, any Lord of the Rings character, you know, short, five foot tall. Yeah, well, you're lucky I didn't say one of the orcs, mate. Oh. <laughs> no, maybe Gimli. He's still taller than me. Pardon me? Oh, the orcs are taller than you. Yeah, the big ones are. Yeah. Alex doesn't like fantasy, does he? He's no. no idea what we're talking about. Oh, you don't like Lord of the Rings? Rubbish. This was yeah. crap. So, actually, I put out a poll the other day on my Instagram. And I was asking people whether they preferred, um, well, Friends or Seinfeld. And the obvious answer is Seinfeld. Um, but also Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. And all of my New Zealand friends said Lord of the Rings. Like, without fail, every New Zealander I know said Lord of the Rings. What's your opinion? Yeah. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Uh, Lord of the Rings, I think. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Agreed. All right. Final Oof. question. Your life's being made into a montage. What's the music? Oh, bro, I've got no idea. I reckon Don't Stop Believing by Journey. <laughs> or, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know the song, so I... Uh, you don't know Don't Stop Believing by Journey? Um, Next competition. If I heard it, oh, mate, if I heard heard it, I'd, it. Probably, uh, I'd probably know it. Okay, three minutes and 30 seconds before your name's call at your next competition for your final deadlift. You're going to listen to Don't Stop Believing by Journey, and you'll probably pull 350, man. I reckon. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly bring up Spotify while you're here, just so I can, you know, get it on my playlist. It's either that, or I get knocked job. down by Chumbawamba. I reckon. I get knocked down. That's a good song, actually. Yeah. yeah he got up finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's sort of that. So. <laughs> so what was the um? What was the song before? Journey. Journey. Don't stop believing. Journey. You got to go to like about. 30 seconds, 40 seconds left when he starts actually saying, don't stop believing. You hear that? I know the song, yeah. Yeah, barely. That's a good song, actually. All right, well, in the absence of you having an idea, we're submitting that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Right, lock it in, lock it in, boys. Lock yeah, whoever in. makes the Brett Gibbs biopic, <laughs> starring, who's going to star in the Brett Gibbs biopic? Joey Zingini, <laughs> when he launches his acting career. Joey yeah, we can do that. Is Brett Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Last jobs, man. Where can we find you on the internet? People who want to be coached by you, where can they look you up? Tell us everything. Uh, just to set me up uh, any questions, whatever you got, uh, brettgibbspowerlifting.com. You can just use the contact option. Uh, just fire uh, me through an email. Or just on Instagram is uh, bg underscore yway. And that, that is just. Fun? No, is... no. So bg is just obviously Brett Gibbs, and yweight is. Uh, my, is the gym where I started powerlifting at. Right, okay, that makes so, sense. So the area the area I'm from is called Wadarapa. So that's just like W-A-I-Y-Y-E. Yeah. yeah, that was the gym there. So that's where that came from. Desperate times when I was trying to start Instagram. Just never <laughs> changed it. <laughs> right. Man, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm Will Berkman, W.BerkmanPT on Instagram. I'm Alex Hayes, Alex Hayes underscore lift. Um, yeah, thrilled to have Brett on. Great to have you again. Anything to add? No, mate. Have a good one. Yeah, keep it real. All right, boys. Keep up, up the, the nines. Man. Keep up the nine for nines. The nine, yeah, bro. I need to uh, <laughs> be five for nine. I'll post it out next time. Five <laughs> for nine. Fucked up again, boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you, bro. Cheers, All right. Thank you. Catch gotcha.